Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. Episode 941 of the Real Deal Podcast. Uh, of course, Happy New Year. I'm your host, Surreal Joe Quinn. Our first episode of 2024. Yeah, this is me live, basically live. Um, it is uh, certainly great to be back. Um, as you can see, working here. A little bit, a little bit rusty here. So you gotta bear with me to have recorded a podcast. What three weeks? What was our last podcast? December twelfth. I think it was December twelfth. So it's been a minute, to say at least. I hope everybody out there enjoyed your holiday season. Back to work. Back to reality. Um. And uh, again, I hope everybody enjoyed the holiday season. Uh, it was, it, you know, it, it it was relaxing as well as difficult to be to be away this long. To be honest with you, for the podcast from you guys, from you guys in particular, but I'm certainly excited about 2024 and what this podcast is becoming, and uh, it's going to be a great, 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 great year. Um. I'm back. I felt like, listen, I felt like we um, we coming back at a perfect time, to be honest with you. Week 18 of the NFL season. We're going to look back at week 17 and preview and preview week 18 as we are just a couple of weeks away from the playoffs beginning or playoffs again. Playoffs will begin next, you know, basically next week, uh, next Saturday. But a lot to go over uh, before we get to that. As, as always, we're going to begin with uh with our themes the good the bad the ugly we'll talk about the red hot baltimore ravens and their mvp soon to be mvp lamar jackson as well as the ugly the situation that transpired transpired in dallas with the officials and uh that old that situation that situation which you know if you are a lions fan uh you certainly won't get over that anytime soon uh considering how that went down all the thoughts um, is simply Miami week for the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo Bills won their fourth straight game over the New England Patriots. It was not easy by any stretch of imagination. 27-21. Uh, Buffalo's defense had did it did enough uh, defensively. Of course, New England is playing basically with you know a a kind of like a. They, they might as well be the strike so the, the strike season for the, uh, in terms of some of the, their personnel. They have they have just no weapons, running backs at the skill positions whatsoever. Uh, they are playing hard defensively though. Uh, New England, if you look at New England over the last five to six weeks, they've been competitive in most of these games despite just a absolute deficit in terms of talent. Avoid uh, avoid a talent. Buffalo was able to get by. Rasul Douglas. Mason uh, had had a big uh, big game. He of course, uh, they, they of course got him in, in uh, during the trade. They got him of course in the trade with Green Bay back in October. We knew like this. We knew that that probably would uh, that move would pay off as we've seen him make some big plays for the Green Bay Packers uh, a couple years ago down the stretch in their playoff run. And I think he made it. He made. I think he made the Pro Bowl that year. I think it was twenty twenty one. He had a he had a big year. So. He made some big plays for for a safe for a defense that's been decimated with injuries. Um, 
And Buffalo, listen, Buffalo, this is not about, um, this wasn't a thing of beauty. Uh, the bottom line is Buffalo formula has been for Buffalo because Josh Allen actually was bad this game. Uh, probably one of the worst games he's played in, 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 during this win streak. Uh, probably the worst game he's played during this win streak, but it didn't matter. Uh, they were able to run, they ran the ball 37 times, 127 yards. They made, again, they defensively made enough plays to, uh, to get this victory, and they were they were never in any serious jeopardy of losing this game, even at twenty seven twenty one. Excuse me, you never got the you never got the thought, or you never felt like the New England Patriots were, were ever going to win this game in Buffalo. Um, the Bills again win their fourth straight. Uh, simply put it, the Bills control their own destiny. If they win, uh, they'll have Miami this week. They win. They're in. If they lose, then you know their their destiny will be in the hands of 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 some other teams. I'm not even getting into all the permutations and playoff scenarios. We'll, we'll discuss that later on in terms of what's what's going to be on the line as far as the division go divisions go. But I'm not even. There's so many possibilities uh, still left in week seven in week eighteen. Then I'm going to get into all that. But they will be playing the Miami Dolphins in Buffalo excuse me, in Miami, excuse me, in Miami, and the division title will be on the line. It's a remarkable comeback uh, turn of events for the Buffalo Bills. You know, at 6-6, six and six, a lot of people thought there were many who completely wrote this team off, rightfully so. I told you, they were 6-6. Six and six. I think their last, their last loss, their last loss was to the Philadelphia Eagles, and I thought that I saw some things that could possibly, I saw some things in that game that could possibly, you know, turn around their season. But they, there's some good, there's some things that I saw in that game that, um, that made me feel good about the team moving forward. Now, did I think that they were going to win four straight, possibly five straight? Probably not. Probably not. Um, I thought that realistically that they probably would go three and two and come up short at nine and eight. But now they have a chance to go eleven to six, and which would guarantee which would get them into the playoffs, or they can go they they can even go ten and seven and not make the playoffs. So, um, Buffalo is where you want to be um, coming into this week to week eighteen, and that is controlling your own destiny and playing good football. If they do get in the playoffs, nobody no one would want to see this team. Uh, this is a team that that has been you know into a uh, conference championship that, as a group. This is a team that has been to, you know, numerous playoff appearances with the Josh Allen, Sean McDermott, uh, Stefan Diggs in that era that, with that particular group. So no one in the conference wants to see this team in the playoffs. No way, no, in no way, shape, or form, to be honest with you. Uh, they're playing, again, they're playing the best football at the right time. Uh, as far as their identity, they've kind of brought back you know, uh, a sense of physicality. Again, offensively, they're going to have to revamp their offense still in the offseason. Right now, they're doing it. With, you know, they're kind of doing it with spit and glue. All right, we're going to run the ball. But even even still, um, there's, you know, there's still some things about the passing game and about Josh Allen and how, you know, 
there's some of them things that could be fixed and that 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 they'll have an entire offseason to fix from that standpoint. But the most important part to me in watching the Bills over the last course of the, this last month is the physicality. Um, at the beginning of the year, when they were playing their best football, when they were playing good, decent, decent football, not great. But when they had some, when they had success, it was with their physicality. We thought, along with you know, it's amazing how things changed. We thought, along with along with the likes of Kansas City, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and San Francisco, that they were amongst the most physical teams in the NFL, and they lost that for a lot of the season. That's something that they they regained that physicality, and it's come with running the football. It's come with absolutely running the football. Uh, you know, James Cook, um, not dependent on Josh Allen to run the football, even though, you know, he had 44 yards this game. He had 44 yards and probably, probably 11 carries. This is probably too many. You want to keep it in that five to eight, five to 10 range, but those are like some other runs where, and he had a couple touchdowns. So, I mean, some of those runs were excusable from the standpoint of that he did score touchdowns. Um, he was, was able to score a touchdown, but for the most part, they've they've had success running the football with their running backs, and that brings about this team looks ready to this team looks you know ready to uh ready to go to the playoffs. This team looks ready like they're ready to uh, they're made for the playoffs as far as the, from a physical standpoint. And if you notice in the NFL this over the, down the stretch, one of the teams that are having the most success: Baltimore, Cleveland, San Francisco. Uh, even the Rams when they're playing, these are the teams that is clearly the teams that are the most physical, that are having the most success, especially in playing the best football right now, uh, without question. So it, even Dallas has got more physical than than they have uh, in previous years with, with how they're playing, uh, with how they're playing football. So um, that has returned um, from um, that has returned for the Buffalo Bills. There is a sense of identity. They have a sense of purpose, purpose, and they have, they have, you know, they are one win away from really making a one or more remarkable. I ain't gonna say more remarkable runs uh, in this season, but really, um, something that I didn't think that they were capable of doing. To be honest with you, like I said, I, I said I thought that there was potential that they could turn this thing around, but I, it doesn't mean I believe it was going to happen. Um, so they had to, they'll have to do it on the road. They'll have to do it against a division opponent, but we'll see what happens um, as they get ready for, to face their long-time their long division rival, rival the uh, Miami Dolphins. And also, one last thing on the Bills. Uh, as these wins have piled up in the last month, the production of Stefan Diggs has dropped. That is something that it, that certainly will have to be addressed in the offseason. Like, there, you can't tell me that, you know, Stefan Diggs has to become a, not a decoy. And, you know, you can still be, you can still be physical and still have a, a, a steady dose of Stefan Diggs. Like, I don't, so that, yeah, that's something that needs, that has to be remedied in the offseason. I don't think Stefan Diggs is, you know, I, I don't think Stefan Diggs is, is a decline. But again, that we you know that goes back to what we mentioned. We've been talking about the majority of the season about this. I about you know the lack of offensive identity and just kind of just the lack of uh, organization within that in terms of how they want to play offense. So that 
that's definitely something. Again, his numbers have dropped, especially in the, during this win streak. But that's something that's going to have to be addressed. You know, Diggs is playing the, the, the good soldier and a team being playing the team guy, but that guy should be getting – he should be getting the ball a lot. Like, I still I want the ball in Stephon Diggs' hands. It's not like, you know, Travis Kelsey is, is on a decline. Stephon Diggs is still to be a top – a legitimately top five, top eight receiver in this league when, um, you know, when he's used correctly. So just – I, I want to keep that in mind. We're a deep dive. The Ravens, the Ravens right now, without question, are the best team in football. They clinch the uh, AFC as far as home foot advantage. They will have a, a bye week. Um, they will have a bye week for the first weekend of the playoffs. So, in essence, you know, they really could take off this week uh, when they face the Steelers. And in essence, they could have, you know, almost three weeks off if they choose so. Now, here's the thing. You got to be very careful. I've seen teams, I, listen, I, you have a quarterback that likes to run, even though he's not running as much as he, he has in the past. He's still a, one of the more mobile quarterbacks in the league. I probably would play him a half and then sit him down at halftime. But I don't – I it's just something doesn't sit right with me with with my quarterback having three weeks that that, that much time off. Like, just – like, I, I, just, I believe – seeing a number of these teams get picked off in that divisional round. And, you know, you are going to have to – sure, you take the rest. You get some guys healthy. You get some guys who are – you know, get some guys healthy. That's fine. You still take the bye. Because it means you have home field, and it means that you again, I, you 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 want to be fresh during this uh at this time of year. You know, talking January week. You know, by the time that comes up, it'll be week uh twenty. The division round will be week twenty of the NFL season. So you have a major advantage versus these other teams as far as how fresh your team will be. But again, considering that this game, if they chose to, you gotta be careful about that rust factor. Because I, I do believe that that is a real thing. Because next thing you know, you get in a divisional round, you can be down seventeen nothing before you blink, before you know the national anthem is over. I've seen a lot of teams, a number of these teams go down in the divisional round, coming off that bye, just and getting that got off to just bad starts. So, um, just keep that in mind for this game. But I want to deep dive the Ravens of this year. Versus the Ravens 2019. 2019, that's the last season where they were considered to be a Super Bowl contender, a legit Super Bowl contender. Uh, they were 14-2 that season. They won 11 straight to end that season. And, of course, the common denominator in that season versus this season was Lamar Jackson. That season, Lamar Jackson won was, I believe, unanimous MVP. I know he won MVP. I think I believe he was unanimous. 36 touchdowns, 600 interceptions. 1,200 yards rushing that season. He just was overwhelming that season. They scored well over 500 points. Offensively, defensively, uh, you know, their point differential was about the same. They were just – it was about the same as it was. The point differential was about the same this year versus last year. Excuse me, this year versus 2020. This year versus uh, 2019. 
the major difference to me, and this is why I feel better about this team than I felt about that team that particular year, of course, is Lamar Jackson. It's, this is where you have to just ignore stats and just actually have to have to like watch the game. He was so far, he was so by far a better player than he was four years ago. It's not even close. Like don't like don't even the stats. His stats are better than that in 2019. Of course, his numbers are better. Um, all around quarterback rating, touchdowns, all every every stat you look at. The important stat to me to compare is he goes into this final game with 821 yards rushing, right? 821 yards rushing versus in a seven. And by the way, it, it would be if he plays, it would be 17 games versus a 16 game season where he had 1,200 yards rushing. So that dip in rushing is extremely important. It's a very important number because what it tells you is how much he's matured and develop as a passer, as a as a passer, particularly a passer in the pocket. His level of comfort, his I, I went back and I was just curious about, you know, because he, you know, it, it's it's a short body of work, but he hasn't obviously he has not had the success in the playoffs. I went back and watched some highlights of that Tennessee uh playoff game, which they lost 28-12 in back in 19. And that game, you know, he was awful in that game. He got knocked Tennessee. Of course, Vrabel had a perfect defensive plan. They kept him in the pocket. For the most part, they made him throw from the pocket. He, like, he was sacked, like, four times. He had a three, I think he had, like, three interceptions. They sacked him a bunch of times. Now, again, he put up big numbers, but that game was over. Um, he had over 143 yards rushing and, like, 360 yards passing. But that, those were empty. Those were empty calorie numbers. Those numbers didn't mean anything because the game was the game was it. The game was over. Like, that, like that game, they were playing up from behind. And at that point, when he had all that rushing yards, it didn't. It just didn't matter. Um, but in that game, when I look back and looked at it, he was so robotic in the pocket. Like, it was one read. It was stared out of receiver. He looked. He didn't look comfortable. Like he did not. There was no fluid. He wasn't fluid whatsoever. He was just. It was almost like a. Uh, like I said, he looked robotic. He looked robotic in the pocket versus again. It is night and day how he looks in the pocket now versus then. Like it's not even close. That is the difference to me when I compare these Ravens versus the uh, the Ravens of 2019. Um. Because defensively, you know, they were great then. They were they were excellent defensively that year. They're excellent defensively. They're one of the best defenses uh, this year. Uh, this year, of course. And, of course, I mean, if you saw what they did to uh, San Francisco on that, that Christmas night, which was a masterpiece of a defensive performance. That was way people too much. People too, put too, way too much on Brock Purdy. You know, Brock Purdy didn't do this. Like, no, they were on his ass. And that was a great, great defensive performance by Baltimore. It wasn't about Brock, what Brock Purdy did do. It was about what they did do, uh, in my opinion. But their defense is about the same as it was is was back in 2019. Here's the difference. Here's why they're favored to get to the Super Bowl and favored to um, and should be favored to win the Super Bowl. Um, even though, you know, it'll Listen, I, I don't, I don't think I, I really think if you if you if you make it to the playoffs this year that you should feel good 
because I, I I don't you know as well as the Ravens are playing as well as the 49ers have played there's no dominant team there's no team that's scared there's none of these teams scare me even the Ravens I'm be honest with you even the Ravens don't scare me I, I just don't think there's a dominant team this year but getting back to uh, Lamar Jackson they that I have way and I said this early in the season I have way more confidence in this team now than than I did with, in 2019. Because of him. Like I said, he's just a completely, completely different player. And you can just see it. You can see, you know, he the things that he does, that he's done in the pocket. And he's picking and choosing his spots in terms of when to run. He is he genuinely is looking to pass first and run second. Now again, he still has the ability to break a thirty yard run out of nowhere. That that is still there, without question. But I'm telling you right now, um, you know, he uh, he's just a completely, completely different player. And that's why I, I like these Ravens in 23 more than I like the Ravens of 2019 that were 14 and 2. Game of the week, uh, Dallas gets by Detroit 20 to 19. Um, this was a very, very good game, uh, to say the least. Now, again, it, you know, it's one of these games where I think that the what happened at the end kind of took away from actually how good this game was. Um, because there were a lot of good things. This game was, good, you know, you can make a case that we what our things was the good, the bad, the ugly. Well, this game had the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, all in, in, in one football game. You had Dak Prescott playing nearly playing basically, you know, minus the one interception, basically lights out football, throwing the ball well. CD Lamb was the best player on the field, along with uh, along with the um Aiden Hutchinson, who was the Detroit defense end who was just all over the place. But probably you would say CD Lamb was the best player off the field, best player on the field. And And Detroit, to me, showed you, um, learned a lot about Detroit in this game. Now, we get right to the, uh, let's just get right right to it as far as the officiating and what, what transpired. I don't care if Detroit's deception was so good that it fooled the officials. Um along with Brad Brad Allen, you as an official have been around long enough and should be under uh, have a have a high level of understanding of what is going on in terms of what the Detroit Lions are trying to do. Um everybody on that field, Decker, uh Jared Goff says Decker reported which Decker, who is number 68, reported to the official. Everybody seems to say it, says, seems to have believe it or say it, except the official, who still who stuck to the story even during the interview process. But, you know, all you got to do is look at the video, and you saw 68. You saw 68 going towards the official. Now, again, I've heard a bunch of excuses made for the officials, how loud it is. There were two people walking towards him. Your job as an official, and, and Gene Salzator, uh, Salzator, if I pronounced that right, uh, CBS, was very clear about it. He says, 
first of all, two people can report. So even then, again, this is where it, it was a lot of there was a lot of confusion when this happened. Like when this happened on this this game was Saturday night, and I went to bed still not figuring out what the hell I just saw or what had transpired in terms of this rule. Uh, to be honest with you, but. As we come to find out, two people can report. So even Dan Campbell was wrong about that. Uh, he said he was told that two people can report, that, that two people cannot report. Well, that's not true. Um, that you would go on later on to find out. Um, but the bottom line is, Gene Salvatore had it said the best the following day on, 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 on CBS. Your job as the official is to know that make direct eye contact with the guy that is reporting. It's just that simple. And it seems like they were trying to take this official off the hook from the standpoint of saying, well, he saw two guys coming towards him and maybe he mistaked Decker for number 70, whatever. It's, it's inexcusable. It's a reason why that, that, that crew will be downgraded, won't be doing a playoff game this year. That's how bad egregious this mistake is. You never see the, the NFL rarely, rarely goes this hard uh, at their towards their official penalizes this their fishing fishing crew to this level. It rare they you rarely see this. This does not happen often. It's happened before, so it's not. This is not something new. But that's how that's how egregious the the, the missed call was. The call was um, because in essence. You know, now it doesn't guarantee Detroit would have won that game. They would have been up by uh, one point, and Dallas still had their timeouts in with 23 seconds left. And, this, and who knows? And they have an all world football, all world field goal kicker. But the ramifications of, of, of that possibly, uh, you know, are, you know, are major when you're talking about the difference between a number two and a number three seed. Detroit wins this game. They are, in essence, would be in position to be a number two seed. They would not, in the end, you know, they would have, um, yeah, they would have been, in essence, a number two seed. And they, and if I'm not mistaken, they would have put the heat on San Francisco. I think San Francisco would have had to win this week. So that, like, the ramifications of that cannot be, you can't just ignore them. That, that you know, who knows? Detroit, that, in essence, could have possibly cost Detroit a number one seed. They would have been like not saying they would have gotten number one seed, but they would have been they you know they would have had a chance. But that's a call that you can't miss as an as an NFL official. You just can't miss that um whatsoever. Uh so again, I don't care. You know, I heard you know you hear the stuff I heard, you know, what you heard was that they uh the Detroit deception was so good that they're fooled the officials. The officials shouldn't be fooled. That's why they get paid. They are paid officials. These are paid professionals. This is, you know, they, they, I mean, they're not full time, which is another story. But this, this, this official, this, I'm, I guarantee you, this is not the first time that this officiating crew has dealt with this situation of, of having a man report and having another guy come in to, to as, having another guy come at him or walk towards him so that they don't give away the fact of who they want to throw the ball to. This is not the first time that situation has happened. I promise you. It's just so fact. It's just the fact that the other times the officials actually got it right and we didn't notice it. Offensive linemen report 
all the time in those in those goal to go situations. All the time. It happens way more than what you think it does. Because the bottom line is these guys are better are they, these guys are great athletes on the offensive line. Like they're they they are they, I mean in two thousand twenty three, they I mean these guys can catch the ball. They, they besides blocking, but these guys actually can catch the ball. And again, it's another thing that the defense that the defense has to worry about in a in a tough place to score down once you get down to the to uh the two between you know two yard line and the goal line. So there's it, no excuse for the official to miss that call. Zero excuse. I don't again I don't care how good the deception was for the Detroit Lions. Detroit Lions did everything that they were supposed to do in that situation and they have and you know um uh you know Dan Campbell has every right to be pissed off. As he was in the in the, in the post game, every every single fight to be pissed off. And again, I I you know it's one of those things where it's happened again. It's happened. This this play has happened so many times. You'd be surprised if you really you know took the time to see how many times that this play has happened in the, over the course of an NFL season. It happens all the time. You just don't notice it because again, the officials mainly for the most part get it right. So. With that being said, um, that call, frankly, took both coaches off the hook because there were some mistakes made by both coaches that were, like, inexcusable. First of all, if you're Mike McCarthy, second and 14, right, even before Detroit got the ball in that last possession to, 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 uh, to, to go uh, to, to possibly to tie the game, right, what could have been that game tying touchdown or go-ahead touchdown and two-point conversion, Detroit Dallas had a chance to run a lot of clock off, a lot of time off the clock. They go a sec. They have a second and fourteen incomplete pass, which stops the clock. Detroit uses and Detroit smartly uses all their timeouts, and they had plenty of time left. They had plenty of time once they got the ball back. They should not. They should have had at least forty seconds left, less than they had when in getting the ball back. Like you can't, like your ideal is you're trying to run. Now, sure, you might be trying to make a team use all their timeouts, which they did in that case. You're also trying to run time as much time off the clock as possible. If you're Dallas, you're you're winning the game. The clock is your friend. Okay, and Mike McCarthy, again, sometimes thinks he's smarter in the game. We've seen McCarthy with time clock management in the past be just god-awful in the playoffs, regular season, what have you. Just it, it, This is why I don't trust Dallas. I don't trust McCarthy. I just don't. Because they don't understand as a team, as an organization, coaching staff, they don't understand situational football. They just don't. That was an egregious mistake. You can't make that mistake. You, you have to run the time off the clock and give Detroit as much little as little time as possible to go down the field, especially on the road. Uh, you have you have home field advantage at that point, so you have the crowd. They have no timeouts. You have the crowd noise. Uh, so you have the crowd noise. You have everything going for you from that in that stand, in that moment, and you take them off the hook by throwing an incomplete pass on second and fourteen. Run the ball. You're not trying to get a first down in that situation. You are trying to run clock. If you get a first down by running the ball, then cool. And again, it's not a situation where 
like I said, I there's no way on second and 14 that I'm throwing the ball. I'm just not. I don't care if the team does have the three timeouts. I'm going to force them to use all those timeouts. Man, mind you, they're trying to hold on to those timeouts because they they feel like they're going to get the ball back. So they're trying to keep, to keep at least one of those timeouts in their pockets. They really don't want to use all those timeouts, all those timeouts. Um, if they can't, if they can avoid to, if they can't, if they can. But I, again, there should have been at least 30 to 40 seconds left. Like that, Detroit should not have been, had that much time once they got the ball back. They shouldn't, not even close to that much time that they had to get, to get the ball back and, and go down the field. Dan Campbell. Again, uh, Dan Campbell has done a phenomenal job. He has helped change the culture of that team. There's a belief that they play hard. They've improved defensively. They've survived an in-season football crisis from the standpoint of, you know, they lose to the Bears. They get smacked on Thanksgiving Day by the Packers. You're saying, okay, Detroit is, you know, Detroit is done as far as not, they can't be taken serious as a contender. Uh, they'll make the playoffs, but they'll be one and done, not taking them serious. They've rebounded in the last couple of weeks and actually played some good football and should have and easily could have won against Dallas. I was impressed by them in this game. Their ability to run the ball, their physicality. I thought their defense for the most part, outside of what had transpired with CD Lamb, played well. They held you hold Detroit, you hold Dallas to 20 points when Dallas had been averaging 40 over the course of the first seven uh seven home games. There were, again, there are a lot of good things that I liked about Detroit in this game. The one thing I didn't like was Dan Campbell. You know, sticking to his guns and being overly too aggressive. When you get a penalty, right, and you get pushed after he gets the penalty, which was a horrible call, we know this about the illegal touching, the ball gets pushed back to the seven yard line, right? At that point, just kick the extra point. Just kick the, I mean, come on, just kick the, at that point, and then, you know, and then they get, they got actually burned out. They got bailed out by a Dallas penalty and still were never. And then, you know, you had a bad throw by golf. So they had they plenty. They had three opportunities to kick the extra point. The first time I get it, not to kick the extra point, you scored a touchdown. The game should have been, you should have had the lead. First and goal, or, or at once you get that penalty and had, they had the ball at the seven yard line, you have to kick the extra point at that point. Like at that point, you, now you're just being, you, you're cutting your nose to spite your face at that point. You gotta just kick the extra point. I mean, just like I, I, like I didn't understand. Like I think that was just, you know, your pride and your emotion can get in the way of just a, of, of sound judgment. Campbell is still a relatively young coach. This is only what I think this is his third year. Yeah, it's only his third year. They they've gotten better each year. To his credit, again, he has shifted the culture. He's holding people accountable. There's a physicality. So I listen at the beginning. You know, like. You know, me and Rob Sapp were making fun of Dan Campbell, rightfully so at the time, with the biting the ankles and with some of the crazy, some of the stuff that was coming out of his, coming out of his mouth. Can't I can't say I you know I I gotta give him I have to you know tip my hat. I can't I like I can no longer make fun of him. He's not a laughing stock anymore. He's a real legit NFL coach. He's done who's who's done who's very good. But this is again a part of his process as far as. They'll, in order for them, this franchise to get to the next level and tour, for, for him to get to the next level as a coach, he's got he's to put away the emotion and start becoming more strategic and more like, uh, 
more of a chess master, more for that, more of a tactician. The emotion will, you know, emotion can only go. Emotion can only get you so far in the NFL. Emotion will get you to the playoffs and then get you beat in the playoffs. So if they're thinking about making a run in the playoffs in the future, uh, Campbell's got Campbell's got to grow from that and just kick the extra point. Like it's, just, it's that simple. No one like no one's going to knock you for kicking the extra point with having the ball at your first and goal at not first and goal, but having the ball from your seven yard line. That's a long way for a two point conversion. Seven yards is an eternity for a two point conversion. Now again, when they Dallas got a penalty because Makai uh, again typical Dallas Makai. Uh, Michael Parsons was offsides, a penalty that you absolutely can't get in that situation. So that moved it to like back to like the two yard line. I didn't at that point I was like, fine. Yeah, go for it. Cause that's you know, you're back at the two point, you're you're back within where you originally were at. I had no problem at that point. But for but when that ball was at the seven yard line, you gotta kick the extra point. So that was that game had a lot there was, it was a it was a fun game to watch. Uh again, both coaches were taken off the hook. Um, Dallas got it out of win. Where they, you know, if you're Dallas, you suddenly you feel good because you didn't have to score a million points at home to win a game. You want a game with some. You you want to you want a close game where you had to make some plays and you want to where you had to gut it out so you can feel good from that standpoint. If you're Detroit, you probably felt like you should have won the game altogether. Um, probably felt like you should have won the game. Your defense certainly played well enough. Golf was not good in this game at all. Um. But you do feel confident that you have a game that could travel if you do have to have to play San Francisco or Dallas on the road. Um, you'll be very, they'll be very confident if they have to play Dallas again. They'll be extremely confident uh, in Dallas, knowing what what almost transpired. You know, they get a little bit better effort out of golf. Who knows what can happen? Golf was not good in this game, but you understand that you can you you know what the recipe is against Dallas. That's to run the football. Detroit ran the ball. 125 yards in this game. So fun game to watch. A lot to unpack. Uh, the officials, you know, like you can't make that mistake. You just can't do it. You can't. We're gonna do. I'll go back here. We're gonna go to stock up, stock down. We're gonna do, have some fun with this. I'm only gonna deal with the playoff teams, right? The teams that have clinched playoff spots. So, in the AFC, Ravens, Dolphins, Chiefs, Browns, Ravens. So, all you have uh, Ravens, Dolphins, Chiefs, Browns. Ravens, of course, in the one seed. Browns are locked into. Maybe the, the Browns are. I believe the Browns are locked into the fifth seed because uh, they yeah because they're not they're in the same division as, as as Baltimore. So the first and fifth seeds are locked in. From the AFC, NFC, Niners, Cowboys, Lions, Eagles, and the Rams. Uh, the Niners, of course, are the, are the one seed. And I believe that the Rams are locked in. Similar, similar to Cleveland, I believe that the Rams are also locked in to that number, um, number five seed. I could be wrong about that. I believe that they are locked into that number five seed. Whatever. Those are, you have nine of the 14 teams that are clinched, that have clinched playoff berths. And I want to do some stock up, stock down on on these teams. So 
I would say we'll do a stock down first. How about that? Let's do stock down. Because stock down is, is, is more fascinating to me. Stock way, way down has to be the Philadelphia Eagles. And this is this is like a historical stock down. This is a different type of stock down. The Philadelphia Eagles, of course, lost to, to New England, excuse me, to the Arizona Cardinals 35-31, a game that they were fully in control in for the most part, for the most most of the game up until like the fourth quarter. Uh Arizona did whatever they wanted to in the second half, particularly they ran the ball down the Eagles' throats. They did whatever they wanted to offensively, offensively to the Eagles' defense. We know the Eagles' defense has been just bad this entire year. It's gotten worse as the year has year has gone has moved has gone along. The Eagles at one point in the season were ten and one. They have five losses, so they've lost four out of their last five games. They are the first team in thirty five years to have to start our season off ten ten and one. There's our season off ten and one and have five or more losses. It just doesn't happen. Teams that start off ten and one are normally either at worst conference championship, if not Super Bowl championship teams. That's just how it, that's just how it goes. You start off ten and one, that means you are chances are you are a dominant football team. And I talked about the physicality of the Buffalo Bills. Well, the Eagles were absolutely pumped in this game. They've been pumped against San Francisco. They got punked against Dallas. The Giants were able to even put up some put up some decent numbers against them. Like the Eagles have been getting outgained by these teams and at well over hundred around hundred to hundred and fifty yards. And that's because their defense cannot get off the field. That game against the Buffalo Bills a few weeks ago, uh that was, I think that was week twelve or 13, it was, about, it was about five weeks ago. And Buffalo had well over 500 yards of offense. And even even in victory, he said, oh, Buffalo, I actually like Buffalo coming out this game more than I liked Philadelphia. And what happens is you're not as good defensively. You, they've got, you know, you've had, they, they've had their defensive coordinators reassigned with the play calling. They've uh you had a situation where, you know, you had uh this video of Nick Sirianni yelling at the linebackers coach. So they're in turmoil from a defensive standpoint. And offensively, they're not quite on the level that they were last year. They're still very good because they're still putting up with you know, they're still putting up thirty points on a given day. They're still they're still averaging about twenty seven points a game. So it's not like the wheels are fall off offensively, but they're still they're not AJ Brown isn't hasn't been happy uh, for the past couple of weeks. Even in victory, he has he. There's still some there's something off with their offense a little bit. They're not been they can't run the ball. They're not that's the thing. They they're not they haven't been able to run the ball effectively this year versus last year. But even overall production points wise, the offense is not it has not really been the problem in my opinion. Like Jalen, you know, Jalen Hurts has not played quite up to where he you know he was MVP runner up. He hasn't been terrible. But again, the offense has been bad. It has has dropped down enough. Has dropped. It's been off enough to where it makes a difference when your defense is god awful. And right now, again, that defense, they're not going anywhere with that defense. And to a point to where you basically have Philadelphia fans, 
Philadelphia media and even national media basically have written the obituary on the Philadelphia Eagles season. And this is a team that has clinched a playoff spot. Like I said, and I'll say this, I said this during the podcast, and I said this during the season, you get in the playoffs, just get in the playoffs. You get in the playoffs, you have a quality quarterback, you have a, a good culture, you have a, you know how to win, anything can happen. I don't that that's minus the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't feel that way about the Philadelphia Eagles. I the Eagles could easily be a one and done. Easily. Doesn't matter. Like I don't care care who they play. It's how bad their defense is right now. That level of physicality, that level of intimidation that they had on, on both sides of this line of scrimmage is gone. Their defense, again, their defense is awful, and their offensive line can't run the football. So if you can't run the football, that eliminates part of your identity as a physical football team, period. So this is something that, again, this is something that we just you just don't see. You don't see a team get off to this kind of start uh, and, and and the wheels come off. And the wheel, unless your quarterback goes down, Jalen Jalen Hurts has been relatively healthy, so that's not you know that's not the case. And they still have AJ Brown, they still have Devontae Smith, so they still have their main they still have some of their main weapons. But this team right now is is, is like a dead man walking. Like they they are absolutely waiting to be put out of their misery. There's nothing that will tell you that this team has it will do anything in the playoffs. There's nothing to tell you that. As far as stock up, the team that's going in the opposite direction, the team that is probably one of the more dangerous teams in the playoffs are the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns are 11-5. They're on their fourth quarterback. And the Cleveland Browns legitimately, legitimately have a chance not only to do some damage in the playoffs. I believe the Cleveland Browns are the biggest threat to the Baltimore Ravens, to be honest with you. And I believe the Cleveland Browns absolutely can can win can win a Super Bowl. Um you have a situation where you have a great defense. We know they can run the ball. And now at the quarter, you have a quarterback. You're going to have one of the, coming into these playoffs this season. When the playoffs begin, there will be two quarterbacks in the AFC who have Super Bowl experience, who have taken their teams to a to a Super Bowl and won a Super Bowl MVP. It's Patrick Mahomes, and that's Joe Flacco. And that is an enormous advantage, especially in a year where there's no dominant team teams. In a year where you have a, you're gonna have a bunch of unproven quarterbacks. You're gonna have some unproven quarterbacks in some of these spots, or you're gonna have quarterbacks who whose teams around them are just not as talented or not as good as they have been in the past. I.e., the Kansas City Chiefs um, and the Philadelphia Eagles. To have a guy like Joe Flacco, who's been there, done that, is an enormous advantage. And again, Cleveland, you know, they beat. Oh, they were about Baltimore's last loss, that wild 33-31 game. Uh, I believe that was in Baltimore. Uh, it was in Baltimore. Divisional rival, they will not be afraid of it. They face Baltimore. That, that's a team, if you're Baltimore, that you don't want to see in the divisional round. That's not like that. You, you, you're fine if you see them in the conference championship because you'll have a game under your belt. That's not the first team. That, that's not the first playoff game you want on your, on your docket. 
I would not want to see Cleveland in the divisional round if I were if I were the Baltimore Ravens. They won't they won't say that, of course, publicly. But in the, if I'm in in the back of my mind, if I if you give them the troops serum and the teams that you don't want to see, Cleveland Browns would be top of that list because that team could travel and beat anybody. They beat matter, matter of fact. Think about this: Cleveland has beaten San Francisco and Baltimore, both of them. And what they've done with this court, Kevin Stefanski, absolute 1,000% should be coach of the year. 1,000% should be coach of the year. He's had four quarterbacks. Four. Now the four quarterbacks. Joe Flacco was on a couch somewhere. And is playing, you know, and is playing very, and is playing good, excellent football. And again, we've seen this movie before in the NFL. Trent Dilford, 2000 Ravens. People forget behind that all-time great defense that they had, and, and Jamal Lewis, who was an excellent running back at the time, they were they went through a bunch of quarterbacks. Tony Banks, they went through about two or three quarterbacks that year. And Dilford kind of came, got, came in, managed, you know, managed the game, made a couple plays. Uh, didn't lose, Basically, they didn't lose the game, and, you know, next thing you know, they, he's uh, winning the Super Bowl. He was a journeyman quarterback. Nick Foles, you know, Doug Williams way back when with Washington. Nick, Doug Williams did they, I mean, Doug Williams was put in, like, I believe, like right before the playoffs or mid-season right before the playoffs. Doug Williams was not a, was not a starter that year uh, going to that season. That was the, excuse me, that was the uh, strike shortened. I believe that was the strike shortened season as well. And of course, recent, most recently, Nick Foles with what he did in Philadelphia after Carson Wentz got hurt, um, leading them to the Super Bowl and winning, playing just tremendous football. He had just had one of the great playoff, recent playoff runs in, in recent memory with the type, type of football that he played and just got on a tremendous role and, in essence, outplayed Tom Brady in, in the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl MVP. So we're talking this. So it's not, it's happened before. I mean, I can go back even Jeff Hofsteller with what he did with the, the 91 Giants. You forget Phil Sim, you know Phil Sims, who was a Super Bowl MVP a couple of years prior, uh, was again was injured. Jeff Hosteller let him, you know, help lead him to the Super Bowl. So it's it's not out. If you have a great defense, if you can run the football, and then and then I could, you you combine that with a guy who's actually won the Super Bowl and has led a team to the Super Bowl, then you have a chance. You have an excellent chance. And listen, Flacco, listen, Flacco is not going to sniff the Hall of Fame. We know that and Flacco could win. He could win the Super Bowl MVP this year and not get an all fame. He just like he's never been all pro. He's never even been a pro bowler. But Flacco won a lot of games in Baltimore, played in a lot of big games. He has a 10 and 5 career playoff record. He's going on the road and beating Tom Brady. He knows, he knows the, the man knows how to win. That's all there is to it. He knows how to win. And he will not be shook in any way, shape, way, or form in the, in the postseason. He won't be. I, I promise you. You will not be shook. So that team, to me, I'm looking at the Cleveland Browns as a problem. They are a made that that team is physical. And again, any given day, any given like they can have the best player. Miles Garrett can be the best player on the field anytime, anytime the ball is snapped. He's that great. He literally could be the best player on the field at any time when you step on that field. That's how dominant he is. So Cleveland is a major problem. Um they can choose. They can rest. You know. They can choose to do what they do with this week. They actually, the, 
actually clinching early for them benefits them because they actually can they they will have to of course play next week in the wild card round. They don't because they don't get the luxury of having to buy like like the Ravens or the 49ers. So Cleveland actually is in a, a great spot just to rest their players and, and get ready for uh next week. And I again I I don't care who they play next week. I I fully I like like I said. I, I expect Cleveland to win their wild card round and be again. They will be a major problem for whoever that they, whoever they play, whether it's Baltimore or whether it's whoever whoever clinches that number two seed, or it could be the Bills, it could be the Bills, or even the Bills or the Dolphins. I would not. Cleveland's a team that I would not want to see. Uh, as far as stock up, looking the NFC, I would say the Rams. Again, they have a quarter. They they will go into the playoffs, and they're going to be the only team with a quarterback that has won a Super Bowl in Matthew Stafford. And they're playing great football right now. Matter of fact, I'll, we'll, we'll talk more about the Rams, but that they definitely are, are definitely a stock up as far as how they're playing. Who won the week? Uh, the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams uh, had a had a great season, to say the least. We've been talking about them a lot over the course of this podcast uh, this season. Um, believe that we they had they won the week a, a few about I think last month or maybe I don't know late late October early November. I think it was November. It wasn't last. It wasn't December. It was November. But the Rams clinched a playoff berth uh, at nine and at nine and seven. Um, they. Again, a team that is not afraid of playing, not afraid of some physicality. They, this is where player development comes in, comes in, uh, comes in handy. As if you're a Rams, if you're somebody who, who watches sports and pays attention to that type of stuff, they're gonna have a rookie receiver go over who went over a thousand yards, had who had a phenomenal year, who should be a Pro Bowler. Um, this is the, despite the fact that we know they don't have any and had any first have have not had a first round pick in forever and have lost, you know, almost all of their talent off that Super Bowl team from a couple of years ago, minus Stafford and Cooper Cup. Um, so give give the organization a lot of credit, give McVeigh a lot of credit. Uh they win the Super Bowl, they had one bad year, and they back in the playoffs again, fifth time in I believe seven years. That the Rams are in the playoffs. Uh, they've been a star worth in the playoffs as far as a postseason team. Um, they again, they'll build tough out because they they're not afraid of anybody. They played, with the exception of the Dallas game, they played a lot of the top teams very well. They played San Francisco well. They played Philadelphia well. They could have easily beat Baltimore a couple weeks back in that wild game that went to overtime in Baltimore. They probably they probably outplayed, but probably should have won that game. So the Rams are not afraid of anybody. Um, they so I, I they again they've been phenomenal this year. Considering I didn't come into the season, I had no expectations for the Rams whatsoever. I really thought that this could be you know five and twelve. That they could be five and twelve, maybe at best six and eleven type team. I did not have any high hopes, have any expectations for the Rams whatsoever. Uh, I thought this would be a rebuilding year. I thought they would move Stafford out and go in another direction uh, in terms of 2024. But again, Stafford has played well. Derek, we know how well how we know how uh, how good Coach McVay is, uh, and they've kind of reinvented themselves a little bit with some young pieces on the on the defensive end. 
and obviously again developing that second receiver to, to complement Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup was a big piece of their se- big piece in terms of of their uh, of their season of their success. And considering the fact that Aaron Donald, you know, quiet as kept is no longer, you know, he's very good, but uh, he's not dominant. He hasn't been. He wasn't. He wasn't dominant this year. Like Aaron Donald, did, like he didn't jump off the page this year. He's still again, still, probably still in the conversation. Top one of the top defensive players, in the, you know, still in that conversation where you still have to respect him and he still get double teamed. But he wasn't like overpowering. It, it wasn't. Been, I, I, I'm not sure that he'll even be all pro this year. To be honest with you. So give give him all. I give the Rams a lot of credit, and they to me, I had them winning the week. Couple of thoughts before I let you go. Um, a so it was feast and famine with the college football. Let's let's deal with the let's deal with the the ugly part. What transpired on Saturday at the Orange Bowl was absolutely an embarrassment for college football sport. And you know what I'm talking about. What uh, what uh what Georgia did to Florida State that 63 to 63 to three just annihilation the largest largest blowout in bowl history. Um, that wasn't a real game, and I listen as a Florida State fan. I saw it coming a mile away. Like Florida State was missing like half their like a third their players. They had twenty opt outs. About six to eight of them are, are you know are NFL or maybe even ten of them are NFL legit NFL prospects. I mean Florida State probably is going to have at least five or six first round picks this year in the NFL draft. They had a loaded team this year. So I knew, knew Georgia would beat the brakes off of. Um, listen, these bowl games just don't matter. Minus the college football playoff, these bowl games don't matter. And to me, they haven't mattered in almost a decade. Not only should the college football, now college football playoff next year expands to 12. It should be, frankly, 24. Just eliminate, just, just eliminate all of these bowl games minus the college football playoff, to be honest with you, because they don't matter. These guys are not no these opt outs, transfer portals. It, they like the teams that you see in the bowl games are not even you can't are not even remotely, remotely resemble the teams that you see in the regular season. So I like I didn't I didn't even watch any of the bowl games minus the college football playoff. And I again, you're talking to somebody who loves college football who used to be I, I mean I used to watch I used to be a bowl guy. Where I would watch the the Motor City Bowl or the Holiday Bowl or certain certain bowls that you know I wouldn't watch every single bowl because it got to a point in college football where it was too many bowls. But there was a certain there was a certain group of bowls where minus the New Year's Day Six and minus the college football playoff, there was about four, three or four bowls where I was like, all right, I I I give this a look, you know, fourth quarter and second half. This year. That it wasn't the case at all. Like I, like I have zero interest in any, in none of the, I don't have any interest in any of these bowl games minus the college football playoff because none of the players are playing. And by the way, I don't blame any of the players for opting out and getting ready for the NFL like that. Like I, I'm not knocking the players. They're just taking advantage of the current system. I ain't saying taking advantage of it. They're just, they're, that's, they're, they, they can opt out and they have no problem. I don't have no problem with it. I had no problem. With them. I would opt out too and get ready. I wouldn't risk my risk injury for the NFL draft 
uh, take my uh, I wouldn't risk an uh, injury for the NFL draft uh, for a bowl for a bowl game. I, I can so I can see their perspective, but the bottom line is just eliminate all the bowl games and just go to twenty four. Just go to twenty. Just go to the, the twenty four. Uh, man, twenty four team playoff. If you're not if, if you're not good enough to make the twenty four team playoff, then so be it. Then you know what? That creates more fire and more juice for the regular season. And teams play, and the games will be that much better because teams will know we're not going to a bowl game unless we make the twenty four team playoff. So I, again, I don't want to see any of these bowl games moving forward. I just I have, I have no interest in them. They have they do nothing for the sport. None. I don't want to see any of the bowl games minus the playoff games, period. Period. So 12 would not be enough. They need 20. Let's go to 24, and that's it. Yeah, don't. Because, I mean, at some point, I mean, you can't do more than 24 because then you're talking about cutting into, the, cutting into the regular season. Go to 24 and create more juice for the regular season. There's already a lot of juice in the regular season as it is with the trying try to decide even these four playoff teams, imagine that. Imagine what August to November November would be if there were only 24 bowl, 24 spots available for all these teams. So I, I think it would be that'd be a win-win for college football in general. And every bowl game would count, would mean something. Every bowl game would mean something. And and again. You would have, I mean, uh, there were a couple guys that would opt out, but for the most part, the guys would be trying to up their draft status in the pro, uh, up their draft status, playing it, playing in these, uh, playing in these bowl games, no, playing in these playoff games, and the other guys can just get ready for the draft. I mean, it's very, to me, it's very simple. It's a very simple solution, to me. It's a very, it's not complicated at all. Like I'm not, I don't have to go Chip Kelly. <laughs> To, to figure this out. It's not brain surgery. It's not hard to figure out what needs to be done. You need to eliminate these bowl games because they just they don't matter. They just don't. The average fan does not care, especially during the holiday season, about these bowl games. Even with nothing, even even if you're, you're on vacation, you sit at home flipping channels. If you if you if you <laughs> you turn on LSU Wisconsin and Jay McDaniels is not playing, why why am I watching that game? I'm watching the game. See Jaden McDaniels can see, you know, can his skills translate to the to the uh, next level? Oh, he's not playing. Click. See ya. Week 18 NFL quick preview of that. Uh, there are five divisions that will be up that will be on the line. Um, you have the AFC East, the AFC South, NFC East. And well, three not five. We're not talking about five. I'm sorry. Three divisions that will be on the line. Three divisions that will be on the line. Uh, AFC East, AFC South, AFC East, AFC South, and the NFC, NFC East, and NFC North. So four, four out. Of, so half the divisions are still up for grabs. Uh, which is a great place for the NFL. Certainly, with the NFL, certainly if you're in the NFL, you want to be in that. You this is what you uh, minus the amount of quarterbacks that have been missing this year. This is what you uh, love. This is what you love. You know, having a week 18 of some meaningful football 
um, and having having more than half the divisions still up for grabs. Again, I'm not going through all the permutations and scenarios of what can possibly happen. Uh, we talked about the AFC East. Miami wins. They are clear-cut number two. Um, they're the clear-cut number two. If Buffalo wins, Buffalo can move up and possibly be a number two if uh, if Buffalo wins. So if Buffalo wins, they are guaranteed the division. So Miami wins, they're guaranteed a number two spot. Buffalo wins, they're guaranteed a playoff spot. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what Baltimore does in this game against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, of course, is, needs the game, right? Pittsburgh's going to need the game um, against Seattle, excuse me, against um, against Baltimore. And, of course, yeah, Pittsburgh's going to need the game against Baltimore, so that's why Pittsburgh is on for Saturday. So we'll see what Baltimore – I told you I would probably play Lamar Jackson probably maybe a half, maybe a quarter, maybe a half. We'll, we'll see how they play it. Um, but you have, again, the big game of the day. You have Buffalo at Miami on a Sunday night. Um, that's the big, that's the, that's the big one. Um, then you, of course, Minnesota, you have Buffalo, Miami on a, on, on Sunday night. Uh, Houston, Indianapolis will be for the division, uh, has a chance to be for the division if, Jacksonville loses to Tennessee, which is certainly possible with with the way they've been playing lately. Uh, Tampa Bay, Carolina could be Tampa Bay, Carolina, Atlanta, New Orleans. So, listen, there are a number of matchups that again that a lot of these divisional matchups will will are going to decide these four divisions. Um, going to the playoffs right now. Everybody's going to tell you, or going to this last week and soon soon to be the playoffs, don't get caught up in the Baltimore hype as far as heads and shoulders above everybody. They're not heads and shoulders above everybody. They're not. This this has been a wild NFL season. This has been as unpredictable of an NFL season as you can, as you can, as, as it gets. You look at this, like, if you look at the standings, Right. Look at the league standings. Okay, Baltimore's thirteen and three. San Francisco is twelve and four. You have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You have seven teams between eleven and five. Maybe seven, nine, seven, eight, nine. 10, 11, 12. There are 12 teams between 11 and 5 and 9 and 7. 12 teams between 11 and 5 and 9 and 7. And that's not including the 8 and 8 teams. I mean, I'm just I'm talking about the teams that have the winning record. So it is like, you know, again, there's some guy, a couple of god awful teams at the bottom. But there are 12 teams that are between, like I said, you have 12 teams. Think about that. Between eleven and five and nine and seven. And all those teams are fighting for playoff spots. But not all teams. A lot of those teams, a few of those teams are fighting for playoff spots. So just getting the, you get in the playoffs, you are you you can do some damage if you get in the playoffs. Again, outside of Philadelphia outside of Philadelphia Eagles, I 
any team that gets in the playoffs can do some damage. Outside of the Eagles, I have no faith in the Eagles. But you're going to hear this theme, this narrative that, you know, is Baltimore and everybody else is not. Even in the AFC, it's, it's, trust me, it's not. And I'm going to say this too. If you're Baltimore, the worst case scenario is if you have a situation where where Kansas City, Buffalo, and Cleveland are all in the playoffs. Right now, you have Cleveland and Kansas City. If Buffalo gets in the playoffs, I'm saying right. I'm gonna say this right now. If, if you have a situation where you have Cleveland, Kansas City, and Buffalo in the playoffs, I don't think Baltimore can get through that gauntlet. To be honest with you, to be I'll be perfectly honest with you. Because all of those teams uh, match up with Baltimore. Cleveland, Kansas City, as 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 Kansas City's played, they match up with Baltimore because of their defense. So, uh, again, I, I think that I don't even know right now how many, like, it's hard for me to say how many teams can win the Super Bowl right now because I, like, Philadelphia is gone. If you ask me right now how many teams could win the Super Bowl, I would say Baltimore. I would say Kansas City in the AFC. NFC, I would say San Francisco. I think there are three teams that can win the Super Bowl right now. I don't think Kansas City can win the Super Bowl. I don't think Miami can win the Super Bowl. I don't think Buffalo can win the Super Bowl. So I got, I think three, I have Baltimore, Cleveland, and San Francisco. Those are three teams that can win the Super Bowl. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, the first of 2024. Enjoy the rest of your day. So long.